Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Hello, Suzanne. We're going to try this again. Technology has been our challenge. <laughs> can you hear me okay now? I can hear you okay. So yeah, Suzanne and I have been having some struggles with the Wi-Fi, so it was getting all chopped no, up. So now, though. yeah, so we're going to try this and having the camera off like your grandson said might help. So I'm going to listen to this like I've never heard it before because <laughs> your story's <laughs> fabulous. So we'll, I like the interesting fact you said the last time. So where are you right now? And then just tell me a little bit about the, the place that you grew up. Okay. You're going to start? Oh, yeah, we're starting. Yeah. So tell oh. me where you, where you grew up and where you are right now, because I think that that's always a good starter place for people. And also, uh, well, we'll get to that. I just want to know how old you are, because it has a, has a big bearing on the, the story, like what decade this happened. So first, let's just talk about where you grew up and where you are now. Okay. I grew up in a town called Gravesend, which is where I am now. Uh, its claim to fame is that it is the gateway to London via the River Thames because we're on the estuary. And um, its main claim to fame is that Princess Pocahontas is buried in a church in Gravesend. Because when she visited uh, London and was fated as this beautiful princess who was married to a man called Roy Ralph, I think. Um, she was treated as any other royalty and went to the court and everything. And then they were going back to America and sadly she caught a flu and died just off of Gravesend, so they brought her ashore while she was ill and she died in Gravesend. But there is a statue in the church grounds to Pocahontas. Um, wow. When what I was, was young, when I was five-ish, I used to listen to the radio. We had no television. Nobody had television then. And uh, I listened to a serial called Ballet Shoes, which was from a book by Noel Stretfield, and decided there and then I was going to be a ballet dancer. And I started dancing lessons. I was an only child, so I could be indulged a bit, I suppose. <laughs> and um, I stayed with that dancing school uh, until I was 13 and I realized I would be too tall for ballet. There are very few tall ballet dancers. Darcy Bustle is one and Beryl Gray, but they were only five foot six, I think. So um, I obviously went past that, but to encourage me not to give up dancing, which for anybody is a healthy pastime, um, my mother pinned a picture of the Kessler twins who were starring at the Lido. And it said about the Kessler twins starring and that the dancers all had to be five foot 10 or more to uh, join the Bluebells. So I aimed for the Bluebells. And then at 14, I went to a full-time ballet school, uh, which was the oldest ballet school in the world then, I think. But um, no longer exists, sadly. But um, I met there a girl who'd been sent by Miss Bluebell. Her name was Jackie Hewitt, because her dancing wasn't quite up to standard. So she sent her to go there. And I also met another girl. And when Jackie went back for a, to audition again, we went with her just for the experience. And it shocked us and our mothers, because we went with our mothers. Mm. Um, we got in, 
and we signed our first contract October 59 to go to do a show in Scotland in um, 1960. Can you tell me the advertisement you saw, the Bluebell Way? Oh, yes. was it, what was in the paper? Because we talked about how you, you, in England, they know about Miss Bluebell. So this, your parents weren't sending you off to something that was unknown. No, no. Um, there is a paper in England called The Stage. And um, I used to get that every week anyway, because it was just all showbiz news and loads of auditions were in there. And I saw Bluebell's audition. Don't delay, write today, see the world the Bluebell way. Mm. And then all of a sudden I was part of it and it was quite a shock. But you gain a lot of experience in your first show. Um, we were lucky because there were eight new girls and eight girls who'd been in Vegas. And each girl mentored a, one of the new girls. So they showed nice. us how to do our makeup and our hair and not to have a hair out of place. And you never have a hole in your tights. Because we uh, talked before, like in 1959, that was when Bluebell took the first troop over to Vegas. So that was brand new to Las Vegas was the Bluebell, Bluebell girls coming to America. So yeah, this was yeah. history. And you're in the, these girls were the first that are teaching you. That's actually pretty amazing that you were taught by the first Bluebells that, that danced in Las Vegas. Yes, yes. Well, I, I'm still in touch with one. That's Berry Cornish. I have, I talk to her occasionally, and one of the new girls who was uh, Eileen Ray Strict, I'm still in touch with her. That's um, amazing. Uh, that's a long time. Then I went to the Lido. Can we actually talk about your first show and your audition first? Oh, yes. What, um, was, the, uh, what was the audition like? And was it Miss Bluebell that was there seeing you and making the decisions? Yes. It wasn't Peter Baker or anybody else? It was Peter Baker at first. And then he sort of weeded the wheat from the chaff. And then Bluebell would see you when he'd made a selection, if you see what I mean. Okay. How hard so, was the audition? Because you said you were talking. taking ballet three days a week, which sounds very... Um, it's very serious for, you know, to well, be, you were very dedicated. So you must have been ready for the ballet. My dancing teacher did uh, a all day Saturday in Gravesend. She did Monday evenings in a little rural village. And she did in another small town, Strood, she did another one. And I went to them all and I did every subject. I mean, I did ballet, tap, ballroom, um, national dancing, and the limbering class. I, I did everything. So um, it's funny how, how you find all that energy. <laughs> yeah. School exams as well, you know, I was still at school in the daytime. But I used to go on Saturdays, I used to go uh, at nine in the morning with a packed lunch and leave at five in the afternoon. Wow. So dance was your whole life. You weren't doing what a lot of teenage girls were doing for social and maybe even dating. Your, your whole world was about dance. I went, youth club. I went to a youth club belonging to a congregational church, uh, which I loved. But... Um, no, I didn't find, well, we didn't have television anyway, did we? I mean, or, or computers or <laughs> games. Yeah. All our fun was physical anyway. You know, you played in the street and played hide and seek and think and Tommy, if you know what that is. Yeah, wow. Such a different existence. So we, when she offered you the con was your parent were your parents? Now. It's what? I said my life sounds Dickensian now, <laughs> although it wasn't Dickensian. No, but what a when great I, way to grow up. 
to somebody younger, I mean, I used to go to the bakery at the back of the bakery and buy the bread hot every morning and take it to my mum. They used to be in the bakery by about half past six, seven. And I'd buy loaves that they were going to put in the baker's shop. But um, I used to buy it from the bakery at the back, which was at the bottom of our road. So, but those sort of things. Um, yeah, I've seen quite a lot in my lifetime, haven't I? Because it, yeah, and I think when you think of 1959, when I was young, you no were bread. There was no sliced bread. You had a big loaf or a small loaf. So this must have been really unusual for your town, for you at 15 to leave your town and go off to Scotland and then Paris. Were you kind of a celebrity in your town? Did Were you in the newspaper or did well, people even know where you went? The local papers and a London paper was always ringing my parents up. When's she coming home? Because they wanted to take photos. Really? So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I don't even think women, not that many women were going off to college at this time in history, but also you're 15 and you're leaving home to dance professional and see the world as a bluebell. Like that's, that's pretty amazing. Was being an only child, my friends during my childhood were mostly adults. Um, Hmm. So I was very comfortable with adults and a little bit gawky with people my own age um i had a mentor next door to us her name was mrs ring and she taught me things like embroidery and that sort of thing and she was in the street i lived in she was the street layer outer if anybody died they'd say send for mrs ring and she'd come and wash them and dress them and make them look nice, you know. If anybody hurt themselves, you didn't go to the hospital. You went to Mrs. Ring. And I've seen her dig chunks of wood out of people's arms and things like that. Oh, my gosh. So uh, you didn't go to hospital unless you were really, really ill, you know. Oh my God, this is the whole context of picturing this where you're growing up and then being so young and being in Scotland and Paris. So when you, you weren't really prepared to take the job, you were just going for experience. So was it a big surprise that Miss Bluebell offers you a contract and you're going to leave home and? Yeah, Um, it was a nice way to break into it though, because in Scotland, I got all the experience of working with dancers. But we were, the young girls were put in digs. Digs are um, like with a family and they fed us and you paid for your board and your lodging. So you had a room and they cooked your food. So that was a a really easing. I mean, when I got to Paris, we had to cook for ourselves. But uh, I'd had a so I could do that anyway you know how was that first show for you to come from ballet world and then now you're wearing high heels and I'm not sure were you guys doing feathered costumes was it yes showgirl type show um there was uh a stairway at the back of the stage and that had 16 big steps and I was put on third from the top. It was really, really high and no safety net. And then we all came down the steps to the music and then formed together into the uh, prologue. Uh, So I was really nervous when we rehearsed on the steps because, you know, it was, well, they wouldn't allow it now. Health and safety, they wouldn't allow right. it. You well, because I know we learned that you weren't supposed to look down. You had to look at the audience. So you have to take steps That's with high heels. Uh, it's staircase is scary because I remember a lot of myself, a lot of people have said that that was one of the scariest things. And then you put a big headdress on where if you wobble, it's, yeah, a, it's, yeah like I said, it probably wouldn't be allowed <laughs> now. because 
no rail. If you fall down, there's stories I've talked to bluebells that have fallen down the stairs. Some have fallen and knocked other people down. It was just, uh, yeah, there was some risk involved in doing these shows. Well, at the Lido, um, not only that, the Lido was called the Lido because it had prior to Clerico and those buying it, it had been the swimming pool of the Hotel Claridge. And so they still used the pool because we had uh, the lead dancers had to do a number in the pool. And it had a mirror over it so everybody could see them. And then they had seals in the first show I did there. <laughs> We had tigers because Siegfried and Roy, and we all rode Shetland ponies for the finale. Oh my gosh! And there was a lot of animals in the show. <laughs> so when so, you got offered Paris, did you have? Were you questioning at all? Because you you finished well ten months in Scotland, and she obviously liked you to offer you another job. But to get to go to Paris was that a intimidating or scary or just exciting to be what 16 at this time and now you're going to go live in Paris I think uh for me uh on the first day I'm to rehearse because uh, you obviously had to learn the numbers uh but I was replacing somebody so I had a set place in everything because um Don Arden, the choreographer, was a very good traffic policeman, really, because there were so many people on a very small stage and you just had to move exactly right, else you'd be bumping into each other, you know. Yeah. Very good experience. Very good experience. But so yes, we were fantastic in the yeah. And what I liked about the old Lido, and then when I saw the new Lido show, in the old Lido, the dance floor came up and was our stage. So every the whole audience were sitting below you. Yeah. So we looked even taller. And <laughs> girls in they were yellow and orange the costumes loads of ostrich feathers and we did a number with these long silk brocade dresses the costumes were fantastic and then we do the first number and I know even my parents when the girls rushed out loud music all this colour the people in the front seat Lent back. <laughs> so, um, yes, we did some lovely numbers at the Lido then. There was, was one, we, were, we did a big Hollywood number where all the Bluebells were Charlie Chaplin for one, one of the numbers. And then, what, darling? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm just telling you that I'm leaving. Right? Okay, I'm darling. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, okay lovely. Sorry, that was my grandson leaving. He's helped us out. He had a good idea to turn off the uh, video camera. Yeah, he's very clever. <laughs> and he's also painting my front door for me at the moment. Oh, nice. <laughs> Bring me out. He went to the Brit school. And one of my sons went to the Brit school. And then my grandson went. That is the school run by the British Records Industry Trust. You have to do um, an audition to get in that. Wow. Keeping it in That's the family with the... You know, a bit like fame, only on the smallest scale. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That stays in your family. Yes. Well, so we talked a little bit of before when the recording didn't work, that because you were younger, you had to check in. Yeah. Was that in Paris or was that Scotland or both? Because being underage... Miss Bluebell was responsible it for you, right? They're not. Scotland, but as soon as I went to Paris, yes, I had to have a license to actually leave the country. So your parents had to. It was all really at that time to protect white 
slavery because um, there would be ads for dancers in newspapers. The girls would go get the job and then they disappear, you know. So, wow. There was a lot of white slavery in those days. Bluebell had an incredible reputation. They knew we were safe, but we still had to do it because that was the law, you see. So, so we you were a license. And that yeah. meant we had to report to the British consul every two weeks. What kind of questions would they ask? They want to make sure you weren't, nothing they, was happening. Sure I was being paid, made sure I had a nice place to live. And they made sure Bluebell wasn't beating me or anything. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's so good that, you know, you just, I've heard with other shows either things like that, or they just get stuck and no one's looking out for them. So when you're 15 and 16, making big adult life choices, it's really, I like the. Plus, of course, Miss Bluebell's discipline, which I'm sure later in years didn't happen so much, but. When you go straight from school to ballet school, and the, the teachers at the ballet school all had sticks with a silver top. And if your leg was the wrong end, it would whack you with it, you know. So I think by the time at 16 I got to Bluebells, I was used to discipline. I, I, I'd only ever had discipline. But I imagine later that was more difficult to do. I mean, if Bluebell said you can't wear a... If, Blue, if Bluebell said you can't wear a one-piece swimming costume, you didn't because you costumes were sometimes bikini. So she didn't want you to get brown arms and legs and a white belly. So... But there were so many rules. Once you had a set color of hair, you couldn't change it because they'd have so many brunettes, so many blondes, so many redheads, you see. So I was lucky because I was a brunette. My hair had a sort of reddish tinge. And I used to use a, a shampoo called, um, uh, color it was, shampoo color, called uh, Black Tulip. And that gave it a real ready glow of dark hair, obviously. But uh, yeah, there was so much discipline when we joined. And I mean, girls 15, 20 years later wouldn't, wouldn't have accepted it. Were you restricted from dating? Because you were also, also you lived in an apartment at the leader. I didn't, this yes. is the part we recorded that we didn't get that you lived above so you could come down the lift, go to rehearsals, do the show, and then go back. Because yeah. you weren't allowed to just leave after the show like the ones that were older and, and go no. explore Paris. You had to go back to your... One time we did go out. We didn't think we'd get told off because someone was leaving the show and he had a big leaving do. So the whole show went, including Miss Bluebell. I mean, Miss Bluebell was there every night. Um, and she sent us home when she saw us. Really? Made us go home. You're not allowed out. What are you doing here? How old did you have to be to be able to go out after the show? Was it? It was up to your parents. Um, really? I came off license at 18. But if they wanted to, your parents could keep you on license till you were 21. My parents uh, didn't. And I they were, how, how was that was goodbye? 18, I'd seen much more of life than my parents had. You know? I bet, yeah, I bet. You were living like with a travel. Because I've talked to a few other ladies in their 80s, um, just how different it was for women after school. You're either going to get married, you might go to college, but usually that was, you might be a secretary or a teacher. But it must have been quite unusual you know, for you at this age to leave when a lot of women would not have even considered that to go travel yeah. and do but what your heart draws you to. At the time, now I'm in my dotage 
and I look back, I think, how did you do it all? But I just accepted it. I just it. That was my life, you know. Um, was was Paris at the time? Yeah, it is. It is weird. I even think of myself at the age I was, and then I imagine my daughter doing that. And it's hard to comprehend that you were living this full adult life, getting yes. paid, seeing the world, and so you did get to get out and see Paris, just not after oh, yes. the show or with. You have to be accompanied to go anywhere. Food and things like that. And of course, when you've done ballet for all those years, French isn't that far away because all the ballet terms are French. So I picked up French very quickly and I had had some lessons as a child, you know, with, I had an uncle who, in our summer holidays, I used to go and stay with him and his children hated him for it and I loved him for it. We, before we could play in the holidays, we had to do an hour of French and we had to do an hour of handwriting. There were these special books for copper plate writing, you know. Wow. And um, as an only child, being organised like that, having that organised for me, I thought it was wonderful. But of course, his children just wanted to play. They didn't want to do the... French or the handwriting. It sounds um, like you were really ready for the discipline that you needed. And I, I want to hear more about Miss Bluebell because I met I auditioned for her and that was my only interaction. And I love the stories of people that worked with her when they were when they saw her all the time. So how much interaction did she check in with the girls or could you go talk to her if you had something? Bluebell was how, how much sleep she ever got, I don't know, because when you went on tour, she was at those rehearsals nine till five. But she'd still come into the Lido at night and watch both shows and work wow. beside you if you had a, a hair out. or uh, And then um, her husband... Uh, we called him Lebo behind his back, but Mr. Lebo VC. Um, he used to visit on tours and we were terrified of him. I can remember in Scotland, he came over and he came to our dressing room and he said, Suzanne, come and see me in the office. Well, the office was a, like three bioulis, basket bioulis. And I went out there terrified. He said, you have a hole in your tights. And it was only, you know, we wore fishnets. Yeah. Only one thread had gone. And he made sure I mended it. I mean, that's how tight it was. Wow. Was he kind of t going by, pro like going for Miss Bluebell to report back how the show was and tell you if you have a hole in your tights or... Did he ever discipline on her behalf if, if he was there and she oh, wasn't? That sort of thing, if your hair was untidy or anything like that, you were never allowed a single hair out of place. It was very highly disciplined. But sadly, when I was at the Lido in 1961, he was killed in a car crash. Yeah. Patrick, who had been at university, who wanted to be a doctor when he he was in the car crash too but when he was mended he had to take his father's place and give up his education oh wow so we took that over at a very young age around 2021 i've heard he stories of him visiting on tour and going back and he you know i think leva vc was very comfortable being backstage with the girls but to be this young man, Bluebell's son, and now in this world of all the I things. Think in Vegas now, I think he went into real estate or something. He I think he's the one that's married to Trisha Lee, married a showgirl. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember them calling. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what did, when you were there in Paris, did you do one show or was there a change of show or you were doing the same show the whole time? It was the same show the whole time. What would happen, the show would be choreographed and the costumes made. 
that became the first show. After a year, that show became the second show. And we did a new show. And then after the, it had been the second show, it then went to Vegas. So they used the <gasps> same costumes for three shows. Because I've heard like, oh, it's the same name. I didn't realize till recently that they just, they kept, they kind of got it going in Paris, brought it to Vegas. Same cost because those things, like Jubilee ran for 35 years. They did refurbish some of the costumes, but it wasn't meant to last for 30 years. Those shows kind of came and went, but those costumes are so expensive. So it's nice that get get One your use the- out of it. It's brand new oh. to Vegas. Who went on to... Um- choreographed fashion shows for Gallery Lafayette. She did those weekly. Uh, she ended up buying a lot of the old costumes and she kept them. Uh, and it was a form of business. She would hire them out for different shows and that. But, I have I mean, a question. Did, did you guys do things out in the community? The costumes were so expensive. One costume in the Hollywood, I was telling you, um, we did a Jean Harlow number. So we all had blonde wigs and the um, dresses were completely mother of pearl sequins. Oh, wow. All payette. And each single costume at that time cost seven million francs for each costume. They spent a fortune on costumes. Absolute fortune. And the man who designed them all, who was wonderful, Falco, his name was. Italian. But uh, yes, incredible. Did you get to do outside, like I know the Bluebells would do appearances did you get to do any of those things like for publicity or I know sometimes yes. the Bluebells went to like a, I don't know, we just different events because it was a big deal to have the Bluebell girls there. I think we advertised an alcohol with a man called Regimental Sergeant Major um, Britain, his name was. And we filmed this ad at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then um, we did every year. Um, there's a, an incredible place called the Palais de Chio. And um, in the Palais de Chio, it was like a command performance for De Gaulle every year. Really? Because um, De Gaulle was. Uh, the head of France for many, many years. Oh. Are you still there? I'm still here. Oh. Just bear <laughs> with me. Because I don't have video, so I can't see you what you're doing. No. Um, release to send. He's gone now, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I can still hear you, though. I can't see you, but... Okay. Yeah, we can keep going. I can't see you now, you see. Oh. I've lost I, I'm, you. I'm just looking at the little black... With that white icon. Yeah, go ahead and continue, because we're getting good. We're finally not having it all interrupted with the, the audio. So you said you performed... There was the De Gaulle. Yes, we did, like... the all the um, top entertainers did like, in England, we have like a Royal Command performance, which is once a year when the the Queen, the Royal family attend and they pick um, the top performers. And Diggle had the same. But in 61 in... Paris at that time, there was a kind of revolution going on. Bombs would go off in the Champs-Élysées. That was um, the Algerians. 
And um, Miss Bluebell at one point had a plane standing ready to get all the under-licensed girls out um, because tanks were expected down the... Well, tanks did come down the Champs-Élysées, but the paratroopers didn't come. And then in 68, when I was back at the Lido again, there was a revolution and everything stopped. So um, really? in between, I'd been all over the world, you see, because after Paris, I went to do a show called Carlo de Porto, which toured Italy for 10 months. Carlo de Porto was like the Bob Hope of Italy. He was a very famous comedian. And um, the last three months of that 10 months were one night stands. And it makes me laugh when I hear pop stars saying, oh, we did a week of one night stands and it was terrible. I mean, we used to do three months of one night stands. Wow. How did they tra have you travel? Were you by bus or slides? Uh, Yes, the the orchestra and the dancers were in coaches, yeah. The stars were in their cars, obviously. But And you'd get to a city and rehearse and then do one show and then leave and go somewhere else? Oh, yes. And I mean, wow. in Italy, Italy is so beautiful. Uh, and nearly every town, however small it is, it always has an opera house. And arts I matter. going to one opera house in a place called Fusignana. And the theatre was loads of alfresco paint. It was beautiful. No running water. <laughs> really? <laughs> you Art matters more than water. We had to go with buckets to the town square where there was a fountain to get water so we could take our makeup off and then wash, you know. Oh, my gosh. Did you have big audiences? Because I talked to Elizabeth uh, it Phillips. Um, yes, we always had big audiences. And they were excited the Bluebells were there, right? It was kind of a big deal when the Bluebells came into town. Big deal, yeah, it was. And um, in some towns, which were, I'm thinking of a place like Bologna, which was communist everybody came for free because the town council bought the show in so the people of the town could go and see the show oh my gosh uh, elizabeth told me also a lot of the italian men had it in their mind they wanted to marry bluebells did you come <laughs> across that she said that there was a lot of men that Whatever tour would come through had been a, with a, a bluebell the first tour, and then a new tour comes in there. They wanted to marry a bluebell. <laughs> um, yes. Um, I love Italian men, and you're safe with them as long as you don't believe what they tell you, because they <laughs> believe what they they believe what they tell you. They're absolutely sincere, but they can say it to someone else tomorrow. I was hearing some of that. Yeah, they wow. So were you you were young and you're were you allowed to date when you were on tour? Was there any restrictions? I know you're not supposed to date within a company. On tour, yes, I was fine. Yeah, we were allowed to date. I went out with someone who I looked up recently on Wikipedia and he's likened to um Schindler. Really? He yeah he went to. I knew him when he was a student, but um, yes, he went to the diplomatic uh, service, and I think he got a lot of people out of Chile, hundreds of people out in Chile when Pinochet came to power, when wow. President Wendy was shot. I had two boyfriends. And when I looked them up recently on Wikipedia, I'm, I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but one had become a very famous French film star and um, 
he'd also written five novels and they were sort of like bestsellers. And then the other one, uh, who was Italian, he'd done the most incredible things his entire life. Um, wow. And I knew him when, it, it, as I say, he was still a student. But, um, yeah. What an education you had. Instead of university, you got to travel. And even just, yeah. I'm thinking, like, in America in the 60s, well, beginning, too, with the civil rights and unrest and war, like, you were also this independent woman seeing the world, and there's a lot of things going on. Like, I had not heard that about the bombings at that time and how entertainment's still going, but the world could be going crazy around you. Did you ever feel unsafe traveling? Uh I don't think I ever did, and I think that was just the um, chutzpah, if you can call it, <laughs> um, of youth. You just assume everything's going to be all right. You know, and it is. Yeah, and you're still here. And I'm still here. So I mean, Suzanne, I worked in, I worked in um, Taiwan when Chiang kai was in power. I worked in Spain when Franco was in power. He's a complete facet, Franco. You couldn't go in the street. If you were a woman, you couldn't wear trousers. You couldn't have your upper arm naked. You had sleeves at least to the crook of the elbow. And they arrested you. If And in fact, once in Madrid... I'd been to play uh, five-a-side basketball with some Americans. So, obviously, I was wearing trousers, and they dropped me off. And the pavement is very wide. I lived in the main drag. Then it was called Avenida Jose Antonio. They changed it since after Franco went. And there were five of us, and we only had to get from the car across the wide pavement and into our building and men assaulted us punched us as we were running for this doorway because we had trousers on oh my gosh so how does this work when it's a very conservative environment but the show the bluebells are wearing at least you know swimsuit style they weren't maybe more well, g-string topless was it a contradiction that's what was funny because in England, shows open on a Sunday, but in all those very heavily Catholic countries, uh, you worked on a Sunday. You worked seven days a week. Wow! I mean, I, I worked seven days a week for most of my bluebell life. Wow. So when you, what other shows did you do? Because it sounds like you had a good long career as a bluebell. Well, was it always happened, a business? When I went on tour, when the other girls went home, bluebell would always put me back in the Lido. So really? I would you know, do um, swing girl for girls to have their holiday because they got six weeks holiday each if they were permanently at the Lido, you see. So someone had to cover for them. And that's was this I the say, same show you had done or had the show, the show changed over in well, this time? Of year? One funny thing, when I'd been away for a year and um, in those days you got the train in London, which took you to the coast, then got the boat and then you got... So it was nine in the morning you left and you arrived six in the evening. Patrick was there to meet me, Miss Bluebell's son. He took me for a meal. And then I went straight to the Lido and said, because I were poor, she said, you know the second show. I didn't know the first. She said, you can go on tonight. Oh and I had a through. <laughs> I had a quick walk through with the girls at the behind the curtain. And I went on that night. 
So my wow. didn't down that time. <laughs> it's interesting how there's so much education you're getting of seeing the world. You're figuring out how to do relationships different than people that go to college, but even to have to think on your feet and problem solve, like there, there's an education that you're getting that you would not have gone by going to university. Yeah. It's just fascinating. I think the nicest bit is I'm not xenophobic at all. Yeah. You got exposed to different cultures and ways of thinking. Because I've worked everywhere, you know. Uh, I worked in Japan, um, Hong Kong, Singapore, Bangkok, uh, Iran, which would never happen after the Ayatollah gate. In, but the yeah. Shah was in power then. So we worked in Iran. Was this all I, Miss Bluebell? Pardon? These are all Bluebell shows? Oh, yeah. Wow. So you worked, okay. That's a, she had a lot going on back then. Oh, my goodness. She always had at least one or two troops touring at the same time as Vegas and Paris was going on. Wow. It makes sense that she didn't sleep. There's no, how can she do all this? So you she were loving this lifestyle. Yeah. I just like in awe that she even started as young as she did and created this empire basically to be a, yeah. a female business owner. I mean, there's a lot of things that feel normal now, but, but to think of at that time was probably unusual. It Because of a drunk though, wasn't it? Because she was captain. Um, for her dance troupe when she was dancing and the ballet master became a notorious drunk and they had to get rid of him so they put Miss Bluebell in charge and that's how it all started that she eventually got her own troupe. Wow so when you were doing this did you have any desire to stop or maybe it's time to go have children or were you just loving this life and whatever Miss Bluebell offered, you were ready to take it? Well, technically, I never left. I asked her to for a year's sabbatical because touring all the time. Seven days um, a week. <laughs> uh, yeah, and at 26, 27, I was wanting roots of some kind, you know. Yeah. Um, and the luxury of when I worked in England, I had finished on Friday night and I always had the luxury of two days off, which I'd never had in my work. Yeah. So I asked her for a sabbatical for a year off. And in that year, I ended up courting a friend who I'd known for, we were babies together. Um, they used to sit us on the floor with a saucepan and split peas and a wooden spoon to play with because there were no toys after the war. And um, I ended marrying that man. So, no. <laughs> um, yeah, we'd known each other 27 years before we got married. Wow. Did you go back to dancing with Miss Bluebell again or was that? The, how no, that ended? I see her when she was in London and she got all excited. I walked in because she was finding it harder and harder to get tall girls. And um, she said, oh, Why are you coming back? I said, No, I've just come to see you, I'm afraid. And that's oh. how it ended up. Yeah. So I never really left. I'm still with Bluebell, really. Oh. Oh. <laughs> When I was in Paris, both times I was there in July and April, it just felt really important to me to go visit her grave and just to, you know, pay honor to her. And I, I think for you dancers of that generation who knew her more, because you saw her all the time, you got to know her as a person, not just as your boss. I just, that's why I love hearing these stories of what, what she was like as a business owner, but also a lot of girls that they could go to her with problems or I just love that she was happy oh, to yes. see you when you came to visit her, that there's oh, a relational she, part she of her. Had a that problem. It, she was very good to go to if you had any kind of a problem. 
But she started dancing in the first place because she was a very sickly girl as a child. Yeah. That's how she got the name Bluebell from her blue eyes, you see. Did she talk? uh, Did she tell you much about her life or did she keep pretty private about her own? uh, I only know what I've read in her biography. Yeah. um, They've written a book. There was a 26 part serial on television in England about Bluebell's life. And funnily enough, one of the flats that she'd lived in. I also lived in because she owned several apartments around Paris. And um, they used that apartment in the show. They replicated it. Really? And it was on the top floor, six six floors up, no lift. (laughs) Uh -uh. After the show, there was always a taxi for the girls that had to get a long way, you know a free taxi, and um, they take drop you off where you lived, you see. So after I'd done a, two shows, I would then have to climb six flights of stairs. <laughs> <laughs> but it had a beautiful view of the Sacre Coeur in the toilet oh. window. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful scene. Um, did you feel ready to be done? Because now you're in a, you got married. Did you have any thoughts like you wanted to still do it, or did it feel like you had all the time and experience that you wanted, and it was it was time to move to something else? No, but what I did miss was the sheer physicality of it. Really, it was difficult. But I played tennis and I played badminton, um, so sport took over. I didn't stop um, playing tennis till I was about 50. I love that. I think a lot of people, when they talk about they miss, they miss the glamour, they miss, but I've never heard anybody say they miss the athleticism of it, the the physicalness of it. The physicality of it for me. Yeah. I miss not using my body to the full. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's wonderful. You were feeling it. Did, what was your last Lido show? What did you do? You did the first and second. How many shows at the Lido did you do when you would come back? And I think I probably did four really? or maybe five, um, but not for the whole show, not for a whole yeah. year or anything. But you definitely got a lot, got to have but a new experience with a new show. In 68, I was still there. Uh, at the Lido then, that's when the revolution came and Lido closed, everything closed because everybody went for general strike, you know. So I took a girl called Fran Anderson home with me because she was born in Vegas and she didn't want to go all the way back to America and then have to come back when the strike was over. So she came and stayed with me in England. Oh, I'd love to be in touch with her because we lost touch. Well, maybe yeah. when this episode comes out, sometimes people find each other, like somebody will share yeah. the link and then they find it. That's my favorite thing of doing the podcast is I'll share somebody's story and friends will like be so excited to find them and hear their story and brings up all these memories. Yeah. Uh, yeah you- lucky to do do it when I did it as, as well because not so many people traveled in those days that's what's yeah that is amazing of what you got to experience in every European western European country obviously the um what do they call it the Berlin Wall was still up um and you were literally cut off from eastern Europe but um, I worked in Berlin and uh, Wiesbaden and Frankfurt in Germany. And I worked in Italy. And that tour being so long, you worked in about 150 cities each tour. Oh, my gosh. Did you take pictures? I'm thinking the camera is probably, it's not like you had your phone to take pictures. Yeah, got, Did you travel I with a camera to... and get pictures? 
My, yeah, I had to. My mother demanded it. Really? Would, when I worked in Italy, I sent her a postcard of every town I worked in. And she, she'd get the postcard and my parents had a map on the wall where they traced my performances. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so it wasn't organised so well that you just went round Italy. Right. I'm you can you how many times you went up and down the, um, it was called the Autostrada del Sole, motorway of the sun. And we were always going up and down that because you just went to the next town, you know, that bought you. So they sold the show to all these towns, but they didn't make it. So it went round gradually. You were just flipping across from one to the other. (laughs) Did you? Many a night, you'd wash your tights, get on the coach to go to the next town and hang your tights out the window to dry. Oh my God. (laughs) the bluebells are here there's their legs did you um get to see much of the places in italy or was it just get there do a show and leave again or did you get to get out and see yes i i loved italy uh it is so beautiful there's hardly a i can only think of one town i didn't like and that was called piombino but that was a bit threatening because uh we arrived by coach, as we always did, and immediately it was surrounded with hundreds of men. And we only had to get from the coach into the hotel. But we were very nervous and we got off like a school children, you know, two by two. And when not looking left or right, we walked straight in. And apparently it was a town of huge unemployment. And so there were men doing nothing and they just, this was something happening, really. I don't think they would have threatened us or anything, but it felt threatening because there were so many. Yeah. And then was, because Patrick didn't travel with you, was it just the, whoever was driving you? Was there anybody else like helping you check in or was it just the company yeah. manager? Sort of, um I don't know how, how you would describe them. It was a very couple that travelled with the show and they were more to do with logistics, but yeah. they travelled in the coaches. Yeah, because besides all the things of the show, the travel has a lot of things that are challenging. Yeah, all the scenery had to go on about seven big um they call them camions, but it, like removal lorries would take the scenery. You know, everything had to go with us. Wow, all the costumes packed up. Wow, what a life you've lived, Suzanne. This is, this is so, does your grandson, do, do your kids and your grandchildren know what your life was like? Do, you, do they, are they interested in that? Um, not so interested, I don't think. No, I I don't know if my, both my sons went to dancing lessons because I wanted them to have that kind of physical exercise that I enjoyed so much. Yeah. But when they got to like um, 13, 14 and the exams at school were getting very pressing, uh, they both gave it up, but they both appeared in local shows and that. And I just think it isn't wasted that time. Yeah. yeah. Well, Elizabeth Phillips, who um, met up with me in Paris, I was there for a week before the Lido closed, which is, you know, all of us have this connection history. So it's been sad for bluebells everywhere, all ages, when it comes to an end, because you were part of the that really important part in the, in the beginning of where Vegas was happening, but her granddaughter joined us in Paris and it was fun to see her granddaughter, see what a blue belt is. And she went to the cemetery yeah. with us. And I just thought, you know, a lot of grand grandkids don't even think to ask the grandparents what they did or, you know, my daughter is now interested, but what did you do in the war daddy? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, your stories are, 
are really interesting. And I think I always preface it with uh, women at that time were not living this kind of an adventurous life and leaving home at 15 and seeing the world and having their own pay. It's just, there's something that Miss Bluebell offered that was so wonderful to empower yeah. women because you probably, if you hadn't left town, I'm sure when you came back and actually that's my question because we're going to end here. When you came back after doing this to your, you come back to your hometown when you met your love, was it where you grew up that you came back to? Oh, yes. Yes. Same did town. You, did you feel different after being out there and living this life? And well, the funny thing about my hometown is whenever I, I was away, I was single. But whenever I came to Gravesend, I was unmarried because girls got married so young in those days. Yeah. I'm married in Gravesend, but I just felt like a single girl everywhere else I went. That is so interesting. Did people, because I know like you were expected to be married by (laughs) one back then. Did anyone like want to get you married off and, you know, you. Oh, 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 my, my father was one of uh, 13 and my mother was one of eight. So I had hundreds of aunts and uncles. And I always, whenever I came to England, even if it was only for a two-week break, I had to get round them all. That that was expected of me. Really? They'd all say, not married yet. Wow. (laughs) He's like, but let me show you my photos. I've lived this big life. Wow. Yeah. I can see like, you know, that when you come back hometown, okay, now it's time to settle down. And so uh, this is my question I want to end with. You've, I mean, I love hearing your story. You just had this wonderful, full life of, of travel and adventure. Is there anything that even now at, at, at where you are in life now that has stayed with you of being a blue pal that has maybe broadened your mind? Like you said, you're not a xenophobic. You're, you, you're accepting people different. And we don't leave our town. Usually people are afraid of yes. people that are different. But is it, there anything? It's very would- hard to explain to people because. Uh, I joined uh, a women's group um, when I was married and got my children very little. And I joined a women's group and they saw me as a victim. Really? Yes, because of the life I'd led. And I felt empowered by it. Oh, yeah. I couldn't understand that. Oh, wow. That must be interesting, making new friends. They just sort of men ogling you on stage and you were being used. Wow. But I saw it as an empowerment, especially on stage. That's actually amazing. The episode that came out today. If you see what I mean. Yeah. Like the, the way that we felt as women, because like you said, they wanted to punch you in some countries or... You're, I felt that was the most, I felt most empowered on stage. You were safe. You got to have beauty. Nobody was looking at you ogling. It was more like a respect. Like these Bluebell girls were respected. They were classy. And, but that's hard, but going back to the hometown, I remember people starting rumors about me and I was like, that were so not right, but you can't really correct them if they don't want to hear your experience. You just have to go, okay, that's what you believe. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't argue the opposite yeah but i empowered by it i was uh, empowered by it i'm yeah. sure I oh i bet i'm sure that lasts today wow so we have to end here i'm actually off to work and i'm glad we finally got it to work it must have been with the thing with it, it was just too much strain on our our ipads but i'm so glad i got this interview i'm so excited to share this because but we the didn't young even do- get to get to all the countries did we? i know <laughs> we might have to take a picture of a map of all the places so when this comes out i if you you know if you can send me some photos we'll share that if you've got pictures of the countries yeah um, my friend would know how to send them to you yeah you can do it I've in the email but i will give you on my own website there's a few there already Okay. And they are of the Lido because it, I wrote a little piece in Facebook when the Lido was closing because oh, yeah. I went to the reunion. In 2019? Yes. Oh, me too. Okay, so we were at this there. Wow. I was a little bit upset 
because the girls were absolutely beautiful yeah. in the show, as usual. But the show started with 10 minutes of mime, and I was used to it opening with a bang, you know. This is what you're going to see for the next two hours. Yeah. Colour, feathers, everything. And the first 10 minutes of it was a mime. And in that mime, uh, there were girls, the girls were dressed in like grey suits, uh, which really did look ever so cheap. And I'd been used to, as I say, costumes being worth seven million per costume, you know, so it was entirely different. And uh, so it was a shame, uh, and I felt it was time for the Lido to close. So it gave me closure, but I think it stayed the same until the Clericos sold it. Yeah, as I've heard is where it started to change. It was two years earlier they'd sold it. Yeah. But all the time, Bluebell was in charge of the girls and the clericos were in charge of everything else. It worked so beautifully. And I felt Bluebell was sadly missed. Some yeah. had their hair up, some had it hanging down, and all the discipline of, of how you look had gone. Uh, so I felt it was time for the Lido to close. Hmm. It was shocking. Well, what a history, uh, though. But when all, all these women and men that had this opportunity because of Miss Bluebell to mm. do what they love, to perform, to be, like you said, empowered. So we're going to end oh, it on yeah. there, the, the empowerment. Bluebell I think that's a great... Like a vocation. She thought we were lucky being able to do it. Yeah. I think she felt you, you'd want to do it whether you're paid or not. You know? Yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of us probably we would have. Well paid. I'm not saying we weren't well paid. We were very well paid. But um, Bluebell saw dancing as a vocation more than a job. Wow. Oh, Suzanne, thank you for this. I'm so thrilled to have met you and hear your story. So be well. I'm hoping next year to make a little trip through England and see any bluebells who will want to join me for for a tea that somewhere. Lovely. That would be I, lovely. I'd love to meet you now. I know you over the phone. Yep. And we're gonna have we're gonna have more time. So thank you for Suzanne. I'm gonna hand the recording right here.